0: hey guys what's going on welcome to the kurt Schilling baseball show i'm kurt Schilling, and my esteemed co-host bill graff is right there hey kurt how how we doing today i'm good how are you buddy i'm good hey i wanted to mention real quick there's a lot of stuff to get to but in the last episode we were talking about uh my notebooks and notes and preparation stuff and i probably should have told the story real quick about why it all happened um I was initially, uh, uh, early in my career, 1991. Uh, I got a, a lecture from Roger Clemens and it turned my career around, but, uh, later in my career, a couple of years later, this was 94, 95. I think it was, we were playing the Padres and I had always heard about Tony Gwynn and Tony Gwynn and video Tony Gwynn in preparation and, and all this other stuff. And if I were, and I, I want to say I remember the event correctly, but it's amazing how as you get older, you misremember things. Anyway, I was pitching a game, um, the third game of a series, and in the second game of the series, I think Tony went five for five, and surprise, Tony Gwynn went five for five, but um, then that night post-game, and I used to always watch post-game stuff watch ESPN because sometimes people would would say things and give stuff away or you'd find out something else but uh, after the game he was on uh, or he he gave an interview with the newspaper and the next day in the paper basically the quote was um, you know uh, well you know I've studied this guy I knew what he was going to throw when he was going to throw it so I was ready and it kind of blew me away in the sense that I thought okay I have no chance of getting Tony Gwynn out today because he knows everything I'm going to throw and when I'm going to throw it um, and he said, you know, I use video. I know what pitchers like to do and what counts and what, you know, what they like to throw when and all this other stuff. And I thought to myself, wow, that's, that's pretty novel concept. You, nothing other than just watching video. And that's where I started to get onto the video. And then I, you know, Maddox was the same way from everything I heard. Um, and that led to my dive into Bill James and sabermetrics in the mid nineties, long before I think sabermetrics were ever a thing. So I, I def- definitely wanted to tell that story because there's so, so many great stories about Tony. Um, but uh, anyway, we are going to talk about, unfortunately, injuries uh, off the top here. Uh, and when in- you predicted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I told you guys that we're betting before the season to take the under on Jacob deGrom and 20 starts. And uh, for the second time in three starts, he left the game early. Uh giving up no runs. Um, On Saturday, he left because of forearm tightness. Tightness landed him on the 15-day DL. The fifth time in his career that he's left a game between the third and fourth inning with no runs allowed. Uh, And Sunday with the media, he said, I want to be out there, DeGrom said, speaking to the media for the first time. Since the news, there's a little inflammation in there, so the goal is to get that knocked out here in the next few days and resume throwing, so staying optimistic about it. I am... so the over-under is 20 starts if, that I said he's at six now. This is the, what, uh, uh, the second time he's come out in the third or fourth inning or the third time he's come out in the third or fourth inning of a start. Uh, dealing, throwing great. Um, so – and it makes – I I don't I, – I didn't do it when I was a player and I, I hesitate to do it now, but I got to start questioning a guy uh, and the mental toughness side of things when – now – that we're at this and i hate to do that because uh i I, from everything i know the guy he's a great guy he's a competitor and all that stuff but um inflammation doesn't pop up on a pitch uh inflammation is also part of your everyday life from the time you're about 18 to the time you retire as a pitcher um every the, the the act of throwing is so unnatural and think about it like this if this is 12 o'clock and and straight down is six o'clock, right? The the closer your hand gets and arm gets to 12 o'clock, the more physical uh, damage you're doing to your shoulder and your arm. Uh, And I say damage because it's at a microfiber level, but this is bad. This is not natural, nothing about the joints and pins and pinched and all the things that go with that. Now you add to the fact that you're moving at in thousands of degrees a second in that motion. So if you think about 12 o'clock, it's why it's, and and I'll give you a little hint or a tip. It's why uh, guys that you see that throw down under sidearm closer to six o'clock, you never see them have reconstructive surgery. You never see softball pitchers have reconstructive surgery because your arm at six o'clock is in a natural position. You, you'll never see a, a softball pitcher unless there's a physical defect to begin with usually have surgery. you know I I can't remember the last time I've ever heard of one um but the closer you get from six o'clock to or you know that's three o'clock, that's 12 o'clock. this is bad. That's why also you'll see guys that throw straight over the top. They don't throw like this. that's how I threw. I threw over the top. but when you when you think about this, what happens is some guys do this, but most guys, when you're throwing over the top, your head comes to the left. So your arm stays at 12 o'clock, but there's distance between the two. And this is a more if, if you if I even it out, look, you know, I'm down to closer to three o'clock. Guy. And, and so uh, and he is a he is an up top guy. But the fact of the matter is there's inflammation and there's discomfort almost always. Um and, and to, you know, and and that's why I say to I when I talk to young pitchers, one of the things I I ask them to get religion about is their shoulder and their biological makeup of the joint. So you can understand when you're hurt, where you're hurt, why you're hurt. Um, but this has not been in one place for Jacob, right? This has been all over. And uh, I got to start wondering if, and I played with guys who, listen, they, if they weren't hundred percent, they were hurt in their minds. They didn't pitch because something felt off. Uh, And if I think if I probably would have made about a hundred starts in the big leagues in my career, if I, if I didn't pitch every time something fell off Um, and nowadays, what are they paying him this year? Guys? Bill, what's his salary again this year? Something like 35 million
1: Uh, between 35 and 37.
0: Okay. So he's making almost 40 million a year. So you can imagine the club is going to have their foot, they're going to have their hand on the parking brake and their foot on the regular brake. And they're going to jam on both the second he says anything. And you know, maybe that's justified, but the fact of the matter is at some point you got to pitch through it. If it's not an injury. And I, I don't remember him, this being an injury is something that requires surgery to fix because here's the problem. He has something in, in, in if, if he's correct, he has something causing inflammation in his delivery. That something doesn't go away with rest it's either part of his mechanics part of his body part of something so resting that doesn't fix it it just makes the inflammation go away until he throws again and 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 you know we talked earlier uh in my in the shows this is way back bill we're talking about levels of effort you can't replicate the game level of effort required until you're in a game whether it be uh uh bullpen sides whatever playing catch You're not going to get back to a game-level effort until you're in a game. And when he gets back in a game, you'll probably see this happen again if it's something significant. Or he's going to come out with discomfort again, and then we're going to have to really question if, 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 if he's just extremely overcautious or if he's grinding through horrible pain. I would tell you he's throwing 100, so I don't think he's grinding through an injury at all. Because the first thing you'll notice with an injury is a significant a drop, either significant, immediate, or over the course of an inning, uh, or in a bat uh of velocity. and we're not seeing either one of those. So uh and and I'll keep saying this. I hope it's not because I love watching the guy pitch. He's something that I don't think anybody's ever seen before, um, including Nolan Ryan. He throws a hundred with command of wipeout breaking pitches, and he commands the fastball like a Maddox. That's 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 unfair. Speaking of unfair, uh, I had the pleasure uh, of meeting a young man uh, years back when he was with the Orioles, uh, Kevin Gaussman. Um And back in the day, it was I always look at guys like Noah Syndergaard's another one I look at. If you throw the ball 95 to 97 and you throw a seam fastball and you've got 100 innings and you haven't punched out 130 guys, you don't have command of your fastball or you're just not a guy who prepares to pitch who gets ready who studies hitters um kevin gosman uh just his last outing went 7 gave up 6 hits punched out 13 uh he's throwing upper 90s uh but but the the reason i mentioned the meeting is 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 uh we had talked about uh his splitter and i had worked with him on some grips and talking to him and it, and it was he wasn't a very I, I i didn't get a lot of confidence from him but he should have been very confident with his stuff um his splitter is doing you know bill when i talked about the difference between the splitter and the forkball the forkball pops out of your hand and kind of tumbles whereas the splitter comes out of your hand and rotates like a fastball you can't pick it up um he got 20 swings and misses with his splitter side note you remember our discussion the other day bill about chris sale getting two swings and misses during his start yep yeah that that's the difference and then sale bounced back with a monster start so hopefully things are better there but that's the up and down of post surgery. Anyway, he has 24 strikeouts. Galsman does in his uh, in, in his last 14 scoreless innings over his last two starts. He's two and two with a two three three. Um, here's this amazing stat that that uh, the crew here found for me, and I think it's just awesome. You have to understand this this mental concept, okay? I I had the uh, I played for 20 years. I threw 3,100 or 200 innings. I don't even know how many splits I threw. And let's just say I threw uh, five an inning. All right. So I threw 10 to 15,000 splits. I never in my career, not once ever tried to throw a split for a strike. A split was an intentional ball. And I, I want you to think behind that. If a pitcher is intentionally throwing a ball, that goes against everything you thinking. But my uh, my mentality was: I know the hitter's swinging in this count. I don't want to throw a strike. It's the old Maddox theory to throw. The key to pitching is to throw a strike when the hitter's taking in a ball when he's swinging. You just have to figure out when that is. I threw say ten thousand splits. Never tried to throw one for a strike. Now I did. I hung some that that, and I got great results. Whatever. But listen to this stat: <clears throat> the last, <clears throat> this is in the lower part of the zone. The last six hundred and ten splits that that uh kevin gossman has thrown in the lower half of the zone 595 of those 610 were either a swing and a miss uh, uh, uh a foul ball or a ball put in play and an out 15 of those 610 were hits and they the average exit velocity of those hits was 80 miles an hour so Kevin Gosman turned the corner. Kevin Gosman's prepared. Kevin Gosman's going out to the mound with wipeout stuff and preparation, uh, which bodes well for everybody involved because this guy's at top of the league, should be a Cy Young candidate every year kind of stuff. And I just thought that those, uh, those stats were absolutely amazing. And it kind of leads into the next conversation. And Bill, we had talked about this uh, off air briefly last time, um, Going back to the 3,000 plus innings that I threw, I probably, um, let's just say I threw 45,000 pitches. I probably threw 80% fastballs. Uh, You know, 80% of 45,000 is uh, about 35,000 out of 45,000. So 75 to 80%. And I would tell you that. Maddox, uh, in his own way, probably was a 70 to 85 to 90 percent fastball guy as well. His fastball just moved. Uh Nolan, same way. Um, but here's some stats. There are on plate appearances where a pitch ends the at-bat. Here are the numbers for two pitches. The four seam fastball, batters are hitting 50 points higher than they are versus sliders. OPS is about 80 points higher against fastballs and sliders. Now, <laughs> Uh, any right hand and I'm talking about right-handed hitters or, or same hitters left-handed against pitchers. Any hitter will tell you very uh, uh, quickly and easily why that is because of forcing fastball is way easier to hit than a slider. All right. Um, I remember very distinctly that Manny Ramirez um, in the video room, one day we were talking, the one thing that Manny that baffled him, that troubled him. And if you look at the numbers of guys against him was the right-handed slider. He wanted to know if a guy had a a power slider. By power, I mean, you know, it's the 86, 87 to 91-mile-an-hour slider. Um,
1: And, and Kurt, just for people, sliders move both
0: horizontally and – So so here's the – yeah, and I should mention this. So, again, a straight – a four-seam fastball is rotating like this, and it's going straight. A slider is – from a right-hander, again, a slider is coming out of the hand. It's going – straight and it, it it's rotating it's spinning and sometimes you can see a little dot where the where the seams come together when it's spinning but it's broke it's breaking horizontally and it's breaking vertically so it's going from again let's use the clock it's going from the middle dial of the clock to seven eight nine o'clock uh or i'm sorry no six seven eight o'clock so it's going this way when it goes nine o'clock it, from from the from three o'clock to nine o'clock it's vert it's horizontal that's a cutter when it goes to eight, seven, six o'clock off the clock, or it would be what four five or six o'clock from a lefty when it's going that way, that's a slider. That's got, it, it's what, it's what's called depth on a breaking pitch. It has depth. Um, and on a 3d plane, it looks, it, it, you can draw a slider on a flat 3d plane or a cutter on a slider. You can't. Um, and it is one of the nastiest pitches in the game. It's also one of the physically most demanding pitches. Um, that you can throw because I could never, I never had a good one because I didn't have the ability to hold on and strength because you have to hold, you almost have to throw a fastball and at the end you have to turn and you're doing it with all the power of, of a fastball and you have to continue holding your grip to make the ball do that rotation. And I can never do that. But guys like John Schmoltz and uh, Dave Steve, and you, you know, I mean, you're seeing a ton of guys out of the bullpens. Now Degrom's one with power sliders, left-handers like Randy Johnson, Clayton Kershaw,
1: yeah Kershaw Uh, and Cease both
0: yeah 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 Dylan Cease is another one yeah 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 uh but these numbers listen to these numbers and this is crazy there's one outlier in this list but listen to these numbers and let's remember something the numbers you see during a game oftentimes are very misleading when it comes to the fastball uh my fastball is easy because it was you know 95 and it was straight there are other guys who throw Sandy Alcontrera for Florida has a Enormously heavy sinker that he throws. He won't strike out a lot of guys, but he won't strike out a lot of guys because he throws a heavy sinker. Back in my day, it was kind of a Kevin Brown, uh Brandon Webb thing. Um, Otani on his uh pitches getting results. 50% of them are sliders, 26% of them are fastballs. Kershaw, 44% sliders, 39% fastballs. And I would argue the Kershaw average. Is, has probably changed dramatically over the years as he's gotten older and he's lost some velocity. You turn, you have to adjust. Uh, Cease has forty-two percent slider, thirty-seven percent fastball. Jordan Romano sixty-seven to thirty-three. Hunter Brown thirty-six slider, thirty-one fastball, thirty percent curve. Um, all every other leading pitcher in the big leagues throws more fastballs than any other pitch. Now. I think a lot of times you'll see these, all these unique weird names for pitches that really aren't unique and weird pitches. They're just different names for the same pitch. Um, You know, you can throw a four seamer, you can throw a cutter and you can throw a sinker. They're all three fastballs. They do different things, but they're all three fastballs. And if a guy throws 95, all three of those pitches are within three to five miles an hour of 95. Now, you know, they're fastballs, but, but yes, that one's a cutter, one's a sinker and one's a four seamer. You know the cutter does this, the sinker does that, and the four-seamer does
1: that. And, and then you have Otani throwing right. something called a sweeper, which seems to move more than any ball I've ever seen.
0: Right. It's a. It's a. It's. It's a. The. The right to left cutter. It's yeah. A cutter. It's a big cutter. Uh, go back and look at Mario Rivera. That was a cutter. Yep. Um, but he's the only guy who, when they say he throws six or seven different pitches, I kind of buy that. He probably does. Because he does some unique stuff, but but for the most part, it 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 the more pitches, the more difficult it is to be good, uh, because it's harder to command and more, and it's just simple math. It's harder to command five pitches than it is to command three. Um, So anyway, uh, I thought that was interesting. Great, that's great stuff too, Bill. Because it 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 um, it like I said, I think the reason Otani's fifty percent to twenty six percent and the Kershaw is forty four to thirty nine there's a lot of factors behind that one is Otani's healthy and and younger and uh, a pure power guy Kershaw even when he was good was a was a Randy Johnson kind of guy where he would throw that slider around the ankles of a left hand a right-handed hitter lots of swings and misses I, I almost look at it like a split in the sense that it was a strike until you swung and when you swung it was behind you um generally. And then Dylan Cease is just, his stuff is just (laughs) electric.
1: Well, and And the amazing thing for, for all those guys too is all of their whips are super low. Right. These are guys who aren't walking guys. Right.
0: Right. And that's, that's, but again, you know, I I think they're one of the things we're talking about. None of those numbers add up to a hundred percent. Right. So there's a third pitch in there. So 76% of Otani's at bats end in a fastball slider uh 7 83% of Kershaw's 79 of Cease's 90 of Romano's um which means they're pretty much sticking to the three pitch repertoire as they pitch because that that last 10 to 20% of of at bats ending in another pitch is generally going to be a change up or something to that or a split or whatever i would probably argue it's it, the 24% missing on otani is probably his split because that thing is is so filthy Um, but yeah, that, that begs, you don't see four or five different pitches being mixed in at 25%, which is, which is what you're not going to see with, with really good pitchers. Um, wanted to mention also really good pitchers who, uh, uh, Chris sale, who we talked about last show ended up punching out, uh, nobody, I think over uh, a short outing, got two swings and misses, uh, came back on Sunday went six and a third, three hits punched out five, didn't walk anybody seventy one of ninety three pitches for strikes, got eleven swings and misses,
1: probably a lot more enlightened. certainly not vintage Chris sale. Um, but, but after the game, Kurt, he said this, and I wanted to get your take on it, but he said that his pitching coach told him to just go out there and be more athletic. Go out and do what you know how to do and just throw the ball. And he said he felt more like himself and he found the plate a whole lot better which i thought was interesting okay first off i have no idea what
0: that means none um but second off that's a good pitching coach you have to know your pitchers you clearly that's a language that those two have talked about where athletic has a definition and a meaning to chris that he identified with and that's what a good pitching coach does he there isn't one size fits all for any of this obviously and as a pitching coach for the most part you've got 10 to 13 guys and every one of them is different. Every one of them learns different. Every one of them feels different. Some of them need a pat on the ass. Some of them need chewing out, whatever. Uh, And some of them need to be talked to very specific ways. And a great coach understands that language or a great coach speaks from a very fundamental, uh, uh, easy to understand language that everybody understands. And so he clearly, he figured it out uh, for that start, but it's going to be interesting to watch. And like I said last time, you're going to, I think you'll see kind of a uh um a Richter scale uh effect as he go he's coming back from surgery and coming back from surgery is an up and down thing some days you feel great other days you feel like poop but but the, on the days you feel like poop generally if you're good enough to hang around it'll show up and and, and I remember Jim Palmer one time said, The great pitcher isn't the guy that goes out with his fastball, his curveball, and his slider. The great pitcher is the guy that goes out with just his fastball and is still in the game when his curveball and slider show up. And that's the same thing coming back from surgery. And I had it happen to me many, many times after surgery. You go out and you're throwing the ball 86 in the first inning, and it's like, oh, my God. And then the second inning, all of a sudden, it's 95. And that's just the body. That's the way the body is and the way the body reacts. Speaking of, guys, uh, physical, uh, this is – a fascinating discussion um because i've always had this question in the back of my head bryce harper is going to start tuesday for the phillies bryce harper had tommy john surgery 160 days ago less than six months ago okay uh the phillies are 15 to 14 seven three in their last 10 now there's a there's a uh, i don't know if it's different and it may be different now But there's a process for Tommy John, and they generally say 12 to 18 months because of this reason. Uh, Sometime in the six-month window after Tommy John, uh, a pitcher, I'll use a pitcher as an example, uh, a pitcher will feel like he's 100% better than he did pre-surgery. And so when you come off the surgery and you're rising physically and you're feeling better, you plateau and you think, oh, my God, I'm ready. And then after that, there's a dive. For literally everyone, you just go, and it's not that you hurt. It's just that you, it's your tissue, your collagen, whatever it is, is really actually not ready, but you got it back into shape. And then you, it, it's one of these things that goes like this, and then it eventually starts to rise up to where you're back. Um, and by the way, Tommy John is not what it used to be. Tommy John is now as routine as, as going to the dentist, it seems like. And your ability to come back from it, barring catastrophic elbow problems, is really high.
1: Well, He's coming the, back. Yeah. Is,
0: Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, the,
1: the great thing for him is he's going to come back in DH, and he's been taking ground balls at first base, so theoretically, he won't have to use his outfield arm, right, for even another couple months. They're not so talking that, about putting him out there for a while, right?
0: Right. But the, the 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 problem is that there is no, um, outfield arm versus infield arm from an effort level. When you throw the ball in a game, you're throwing the ball 100. percent the difference, though, is uh, he might if he's playing first base, which I'm I'm going to imagine he's going to be very good at because he's an incredible athlete, um, he's, he's going to be throwing a lot less, a lot less than a guy that's recovering from Tommy John as a pitcher. And maybe that's good because if you go through a little bit of a funk at first base and your arm doesn't feel great, it's, it's really not going to be that big of an impact, except maybe trying to turn double play and you just don't have the life on the ball that you normally had, which is fine. Um, but I'm going to be curious. I don't know how Tommy John affects a hitter, and so that's the big question. I, I I've always assumed, based on uh, uh, and if you if you if you if you want to understand Tommy John, so your ulnar nerve runs through here. It's your funny bone. When you hit your funny bone, that's your ulnar nerve, right? There's a ligament uh, that goes across this, and and that that ulnar nerve sits in the canal. So the pointy bone of your elbow, and then uh, the the elbow itself. There's a pointy bone here. Between those two is a canal where the ulna nerve runs. There's a ligament that goes across there, probably more than one uh, that holds that in the canal. Now what happens in Tommy John is that rips apart, comes off, tears from the bone, whatever, and your ulna nerve has the ability and and actually does, it's not held into the canal. so it, it it's free. So you have to go back and you have to uh, put it create a new tendon. a lot of times guys they'll do it off, they'll graph off a a, a knee, or a, 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 your hamstring, or something, one of your big muscles, to to redo it, and and obviously that takes long time to heal. Now you can imagine on a thrower, on a pitcher, this is every single thing you do. On a hitter, I'm not doing the things I'm doing pitching. Now you're rotating, but I don't know that I don't know that the stress level on the owner nerve is even close as a hitter than it is to a pitcher. Um, so that's going to be interesting, and that's a huge huge bump for them. Hey, before
1: uh, we get out of here, you, you you we promised the Scott Rowland story two, uh, two shows ago. You got to yes. get there for me.
0: Okay. So uh, 1998, Scott Rowland uh, is um, coming off Rookie of the Year in 97. Uh, final series of the season. We're in Florida playing the Marlins. And uh, if anybody remembers, 1998 at the end of the season, there was a hurricane at the end of the season. We had a four-game series against the Marlins. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, I was due to pitch. I don't remember, but uh, uh, I was due to pitch one of the games. And I was at 293 strikeouts, trying to go for 300 for a second straight season. Scott was finishing up a phenomenal season. Anyway, uh, Thursday and Friday's games are canceled ahead of time because of this hurricane. And being me, I went to a local paintball shop And I spent like $3,000 and bought uh, 20 paintball guns. I bought probably what it felt like a million rounds of paintball ammunition, full camo for 20 guys, 10 or 10 or 15 guys. Um, And I bought uh, a bunch of steaks and baked potatoes and all this other stuff. So the hurricane's coming. We're going to go and stay overnight at, at the stadium. Now, you remember where the Marlins used to play Joe Robbie was where the Dolphins played. So and it had these huge upper decks with covered seating that the Marlins never used. Anyway, so we go on Thursday night to the sta- we're going to stay over in a stadium because the one place that we know is not going to blow away is Joe Robbie Stadium. <clears throat> so we get the clubhouse guys and we tell the clubhouse guys what we're going to do and we have we we take a couple grills and barbecue grills. This is this is this is what rich children do. Um, so we're going to play paintball split up into teams in joe robbie stadium we're going to play paintball so uh paul bird uh oh my god i can't uh i think rico bronia myself roland uh kevin Sefsick, um i think mickey morandini i can't remember but there was like 10 or 11 or 12 of us uh so we're playing now remember uh when the hurricane's coming so what the grounds crew has done is put uh all 10 of the tractors that they own to work the field with they've set them all on around the infield on the tarp okay so our first game was uh uh capture the flag and basically everybody hid behind a tractor and one guy had to run to the mound and grab whatever was on the mound and we all got to shoot the crap out of them uh it was it was fun obviously and then we played kind of uh, uh not tag but like just you know seven on seven and in the entire stadium. So we're playing. And uh, two things happened that night. The first thing was, if it, so in the old Joe Robbie bullpen, to get to the bullpen, you had to go into the stands. There was a stairs down, a walk, stairs up into the bullpen. I'm pitching Saturday, and this is Thursday night. I walk down to the bullpen. It's pitch black inside some of the tunnels, and I forget the stairs are there, and I step off them. And I think I break my ankle. And all I can think of as I'm laying on the floor is, oh my God, how do I explain this? I broke my ankle playing paintball? Really? Uh, obviously didn't break it, but it was, I heard it. Anyway, fast forward. Paul Bird and Scott Rowland are in the upper deck of Joe Robbie Stadium where all the covered seats are. Now, if you've ever seen that, there are no guardrails. Okay nobody's up there there's no guardrails it's just the top of the stadium and if you go over it you fall to the field and you die so apparently paul bird is hiding and he's he's been hunting scott roland and (laughs) paul bird jumps out scares roland shoots the crap out of him roland falls and rolls over the edge of the upper deck of the stadium holding on holding on And if he doesn't hold on, he falls and dies. And ends up pulling himself up and recovering because Birdie obviously helped him. But when we heard the story, I think we decided we would no longer play that game. Um, And then we went to, we we actually, the last game we played was we had a referee grab $500 and put it in a, a sanitary sock and go hide it in one of the bathrooms in the stadium. And whoever found it got to keep it. And so we just shot the hell out of each other. The last part of the story is probably maybe one of the best parts. So we're shooting, and I bought. Uh, uh, I don't know if I'm dating myself. There was a show called The Partridge Family, uh, way back in the '70s, and they drove this bus around that was had pastel colored paint all over. It. it was ugly as sin, but I bought pastel colored paintballs—pink and and sky blue and lime green and yellow. So basically the inside of Joe Robbie stadium looked like the Partridge family bus. We shot it, everything up. We were jumping over counters. And, and I mean, it was just, we were trying to, we thought we were all just being Rambo anyway, the whole stadium has got paintball everywhere. It's got paint everywhere. clubhouses, locker rooms, all over the dugouts, the hurricane passes and doesn't drop an ounce of rain on the stadium. We was all water soluble. So we're like, Oh, the rain washed it off. Not one ounce. Not one ounce of rain. And when we showed up at the park on Saturday, it was, people were like, wow, what happened? Like, it was like a crime scene. What happened here? <laughs> and 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 I'll never forget Kevin Sefsik, who was with us, walks up to me in the locker room and goes, oh my God, dude, you guys are in so much trouble. And I'm like, you guys, you were right there with us, dude. Uh, another side note, we left Paul Bird at the stadium. Paul went up into the ceiling to sleep. On Thursday, late Thursday night at like four in the morning, we forgot he was there. We left the stadium. He was locked in the stadium all day Thursday, uh, because there was no way for him to get out. So that was just one of the many off day escapades. And that was kind of my role on the team. I was the I was the uh morale officer for days like that. And I took that very seriously. So that's the Scott Rowland almost died story and wouldn't be going to the Hall of Fame if he had. So excellent.
1: Excellent. <laughs> oh, well, we're back Friday.
0: We are back on Friday. uh Aaron judge is, is having his shoulder reevaluated. We have no news as of taping here. We'll let you guys know. uh that's another guy that you gotta start wondering um what the deal is um if there's a physical deep physical problem or if maybe he's just needs to be more healthy than most to be out there every day. i I, I tend to I don't tend to question everyday players because it's a different thing for them. So anyway, outkick.com guys outkick.com you can find excuse me you can find the show on spotify as well uh i'm kurt Schilling. he's bill graff cal's back in the back somewhere say hi cal hey guys there's cal cal does a lot of heart all, all the actual work on the show besides bill cal does i don't do any of it i just show up and talk so we will be back on friday uh with uh, a week's worth of baseball news and you guys take care have a great week